Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Malthouse Games Podcast. My name is Delton. I'll be your host this evening. And with me today is my lovely co-host and yellow player, my wife, Haley. Delton has a ponytail. I do. I have a tiny little, like, top-knot ponytail on my head. It is so cute. I'm tired of my hair falling in my face, and I still don't trust getting a haircut. Here's the thing. Like, when I met Delton, he had hair down to the middle of his back. It was very long, luxurious, and beautiful. Oh, yeah. And he still has a really great full head of hair. It's just he's been keeping it short for the last few years since he's been in the corporate world and corporate America. Yep. But it's really nice to see him grow his hair out just a little bit, even if it's accidental and not really what he wants. I think it's really cute and I like it. I at least need to shave the sides because they're like over my ears. It gets extremely hot. So if I get rid of that and leave the top a bit long where I can do like a little bit of a man bun thing, I think it'll be fine. But I can do that myself without much effort. That's the key. Yes. Because, like, I don't think I could ever go back to growing my hair out. Delton and I both had long hair about the same time, the same length. And I see how Delton's hair is covering his ears, and I just shudder for him. Oh, it's the worst. Especially right now where, like, you know, it's been a minute since I showered because I'm working from <laughs> home and I just do nothing. So it's like a, a duck's uh, it's feathers. It's a little greasy. It's, it's a little greasy. Like it, it seals in all the warmth in the wintertime. Seals in the flavor. <laughs> seals in the flavor. That is exactly it. Welcome to the Malthouse Games Podcast. We are a podcast all about board games, card games, tabletop games, role-playing games, and things of that sort. We also talk about beer. Haley, what is the first beer we're drinking this evening? It's called Sneaky Snake. Sneaky Snake by who? By Mountain Fork Brewery. This is out of Hochatown, Oklahoma, over in Northeast Oklahoma, America. Hochatown? Not familiar, but that's okay. It is a Belgian-style golden ale, 12 fluid ounces at 8.9%. Established in 2015, our waters come from the pristine Mountain Fork River. We believe that from a good source comes a good beer. Our goal is to produce easy-drinking, creatively crafted beer with you in mind. That is a beautiful sentiment. It is, and their idea of using good water makes good beer is very, very, very accurate. People underestimate the benefits of a high-quality water source when brewing, and it is probably more important than almost everything else aside from sanitizing. First three rules are sanitization and... Sanitization? Yes, sanitization. And the fourth rule is water, because if you have too much fluoride... Or too many, is it chlorates that they put in drinking water? If you have too much of any of that, you can really make your beer messed up. Too many dodecahedrons. What about just decahedrons? Parallelograms. Oh, do. Oh, do. You know, speaking of Sneaky Snake, uh, I, I don't know if I've told this on the podcast before, but my, my niece is three, and she speaks like a three-year-old, which is not always proper. She has a very difficult time saying her L's. And she got a kitten, and the kitten's name is Snowflake. Well, little Lakey Bait can't quite say Snowflake, so the cat's name is Snow Snake. And I just love the name Snow Snake. Snow Snake. Snow Snake. And she says it just like that. Snow Snake. It's great. It's great. It really is. So let's drink to Snow Snake. Drink to Snow Snake. I guess we need to smell the beer. Mm, it smells like beer. You can smell. There's a certain. Um, there's a certain grain they use in Belgians, and I can't think of what it is. It might be biscuit malt, but. There's a certain malt they use that it's just, it's this smell, like orange peel, coriander. It all goes into this Belgian style and you can just smell it. It smells like that style. You know, uh, 
when I think of biscuit malt, I think of like biscuits and gravy. But really, I know that the biscuit malt, the biscuit comes from like biscuit is in cookie. So it's sweet and it's warm. Yeah, basically, uh, when I think of biscuit malt and the smell of it, it's if you took the cinnamon away from a biscoff. Mm-hmm. That's what I think of when mm. I think of biscuit malt. It smells very sweet. It has a nice, took my first drink, a nice full body to it. Full flavored. It's gentle, but it doesn't taste thin, but it's also not thick. Like it has that, it's, it's, it's full. It's a very full feeling and tasting drink. Because I feel like a lot of times with Belgian styles, you get like that Belgian blonde and it's very light and easy drinking, which this mm-hmm. is easy drinking too. But like I said, it's very full flavor. It's like, bam, here comes, here comes the beer. It's almost like the intensity of the IPA without the hops. Pretty close to it, I guess, yeah. This is a very intense for just this Belgian, you know, Belgian style, Belgian blonde, basically. And uh, it's really good, though. I actually really, really like this. But I also think Belgian beer is the best. I think the Belgians do it best. So this is my preferred light beer. You ever, like, have those candied oranges? Like that your great-grandmother would keep in a little candy dish? And somehow they stayed for decades? They stayed for decades and, like, they never got hard, even though they're supposed to? That's what this tastes like to me. Those old candied oranges. Not the fresh ones. They had to have been in Grandma's candy dish for a good millennia. But that's what this tastes like. I like that flavor then, I guess. Because this is right. This is for me. Oh, yeah. Everyone likes that flavor. Okay. Well, this is really good. I really like this beer. So what's been going on this week, Delta Poo? So we haven't had too many crazy things going on the past two weeks. I did set my drum set up, finally, in the computer room. I did some reorganizing and cleaning to where I could have it operational, not in the closet. And I could actually access the closet by only moving my floor tom and my china symbol. So that way we can access this closet. So that's really nice for me. I also put some stuff in the attic and cleaned out the guest bedroom and moved the bed in there and moved the armoire in there and got it to where Haley now has a desk space of her own in her own room where if she needs to, she can lock the cats out. It's really cute. Delton, you should take some pictures and post them on the Malt House Games page. Delton did a really good job. He basically made the bedroom that I always wanted as a kid with like a really flowery, hippie bedspread, Beatles posters all over the wall, cat pictures hanging up, my own little nook desk that's right by a window. Like that's what I dreamed of as a teenager and Delton like made it for me. It's wonderful and it's adorable and I appreciate it. So now she has an office and I have a drum set and everything's good. It, it is really good. I got a little nap space between my clients. I'll lay on the bed and the kitties will lay with me. After, whenever Delton's not working, he can watch his Legend of Korra. That's what I've been doing while I'm working at the moment. Just keeping it on until we get busy and then I pause it and then I do all my work and then I go back to turn it on because I can watch it. It's my first time through. Uh, I can watch it without paying too much attention, but if it's an attention-grabbing like part, I will pause it until I have time to kind of pay a bit more attention to it. But it's been very good. I've enjoyed that. We do have to tell everyone the bad news. What's the bad news? The squash bugs destroyed my crops. That's true. Her garden's basically gone. All right. You guys, have you seen Indiana Jones? I'm sure you have. And like the scene whenever he looks into the pit and you don't see the floor, you just see snakes. That's what I saw when I lifted up a squash leaf. And within six days, all six of my zucchini plants, all of my cucumbers, my cantaloupe, and my hopes and dreams were all dead. I still have a couple of lettuces and a few carrots. And my tomato plants, but 
I don't know if the squash bugs also were sucking nutrients out of tomato plants, but I've only had one tomato so far. I have no idea, but it is crazy. It like destroyed it, and I was really sad. But the good news is I have read about some companion plants and I'm ready to start again next year. But that has been the low for my week. I'm going to do a check-in for myself like I do with my, my little kid clients under the age of 10. I'm like, what's your low for the week? What's your high? My low for the week was all the goddamn squash bugs destroying my crops. And the high for the week is I got a promotion. Yay, promotion. I am now education specialist. I specialize in the education. I hope that's what that means. I hope so, too. <laughs> so far, so good. So far, so good. Well, before we go any further, I want to give a big shout out to our amazing Patreon backers. So thank you, Allison, Alan, Jesse, Catherine, Cliff, and Jennifer now. <gasps> Jennifer! Jennifer bumped hers up to where she's included on the podcast. The birthday girl. The birthday girl. We got to play with Jennifer and her husband, Nick, and play Secret Hitler for the first time through private.secrethitler.io, where it's an online application. You basically work through video chat through some other program and use this website to actually run the game. Very, very fun social deduction game. I wish we could play it in person because I feel like I would get a better feel for it in person, but I also feel like I can hide behind a webcam and a pop filter. Oh, that was not fair. So Delton had it positioned <laughs> where I could not see his hands on the screen because we, we don't play in the same room because of feedback. And so I play in the living room and he plays in his game room. And I couldn't see his hands by how he had the camera. His face was hidden by the pop filter, so I couldn't see if he was giggling or doing his little Delton. <laughs> and so he totally was able to get away with things that he generally would not be able to because I know his tells, by God. That's true, but everything's fine. Anyway, thank you to those amazing Patreon backers. If you would like to be like them, patreon.com slash malthousegames, M-A-L-T-H-A-U-S games. And don't be a fascist like Delton was in the first game. Uh, in all three. Oh, God, you I was were. in all three games. I was a liberal in all three. <laughs> and everyone thought I was Hitler the last game. That's true. That's going to be a weird soundbite. I hope nobody ever takes it's that soundbite. That will not be the advertisement <laughs> with, with the podcast release. It's fine. Well, with that being said, let's move in to this special topic-heavy episode. Hey, what can I get you? I'd like a topic. Any special way? Make it a top-shelf topic. Coming up. Enjoy. So today, as you can clearly hear by our transition music, we are not talking about a specific game. Egad! Today is going to be a different type of episode. I was talking with my good friend Morgan. I've known Morgan since we were in kindergarten. Hi, Morgan! Or I think it was either kindergarten or first grade, and I want to say kindergarten. I could be wrong. Maybe pre-K. Pre-K or kindergarten. One of those two. Anyway, it's a long-ass time. Morgan's been listening to the podcast, and I asked her basically... You know, what is something you want to hear? Do you have any complaints? You know, because constructive criticism for me is how I improve the podcast. I've taken everything I've heard, thought about it, discussed it with Haley, and then we've tried to implement that in some manner into the show to make sure we can improve the product. Well, what one of Morgan's concerns was that she's not super into the board game world. She hasn't played a lot of games, and this is something new for her. She listens and she really enjoys it, but sometimes the terminology or the way some of these mechanics function, things like that can go over her head because she's not familiar. And it can feel kind of gatekeepy sometimes for new listeners. I remember whenever I first got into the hobby, I was like, the hell is a deck builder? Like, I thought it was way over my head. I was like, there's no way I'm ever going to be able to like win any of these games. And so, and just the terminology in itself can be a huge barrier to people getting in. 
it really, really can. So what we wanted to do today for, what episode is this? 73? For episode number 73, geez, Damn. that number's big. We wanted to do a special kind of introduction episode. So if you are unfamiliar with tabletop games, are just dipping your toes in, or even if you're a seasoned veteran, I feel like this episode will have something for you because what we're going to do is we are going to discuss some of the general terminology used in games, and then we're going to dive into a lot of the mechanics that we talk about, as well as the mechanics that actually label sort of their own genres of games. But in the process, we're also going to try and present you with versions of those mechanics and games that you have probably played before, most likely, or you can find pretty easily at Walmart or Target, and if not, something like a Barnes & Noble. So we're going to try to do that as well as talk about some of our favorites, and hopefully this is something that can help connect the dots on a few things or at least introduce you to something that maybe you haven't heard before and you think, oh, I'm going to look that up. That's interesting. Because I have a sneaking suspicion that anyone who listens to this podcast and doesn't consider themselves to be a quote-unquote gamer really is a gamer. Like oh, you've totally. played a lot of these things before. It's just playing different versions of the same mechanics you already know. That's for sure. It really is. So I say let's dive in. So first on the list, and yes, I made a very extensive list. It is a very extensive list. Like it's on the Delton took a TV from his parents' house and made it into a third computer screen. Yeah. And it is now hanging above my head, this giant ass two foot tall Word document full of games. Oh, yeah. So to start us off, there's a couple general terms, and this is mostly going to be uh, general terms of styles of games. So the very first one is going to be, and we talk about this a lot, a Euro game. A Euro game, that definition basically comes from games developed in Europe. Uh, a lot of people consider the Settlers of Catan to be the like origin of the modern Euro game. It's not focused on rolling dice and moving. It's not focused on all the standard things. It's got a little bit different of a play style, and it was sort of like the creation of a genre. Is it like the resource management? Uh, yeah, the resource management and uh, point salady where you get points from different areas, even though that's very slight. It just that style. Like think about what you had before Settlers of Catan. There wasn't a ton. There were some old games like Hero Quest and Cosmic Encounter, but mostly it was Candyland, Monopoly. That's what you played, at least in the America. But when Settlers of Catan hit, it was this whole new aspect of what you could do with a board game. I feel like it's the advent of the long-term strategy in games. Like, aside from chess, like, chess has a long-term strategy. Yeah. But, like, with Candyland, you're, you're drawing cards and you're moving. You're drawing cards and you're moving. Same thing with shoots and ladders. But this is, like, if you want to have a game where you're sitting and you are thinking two or three ter terms ahead, that is a Euro game for you. Definitely. It really is. So that's what that's going to mean. Most of the time when you say a Euro game, long-term strategy, as Haley said, and you're going to most likely be managing some sort of resource. Those are generally in that. So the next on the list kind of has three different names depending on who you talk to. In the board game community, you hear the term Ameritrash a lot. Some people have turned that to not be so negative to Amerithrash. I like to call it thematic games. A thematic game is exactly that. It's very theme heavy. It's not going to be all about managing these little resources. There might be some dice rolling. There might be some story reading, some little clunky bits here and there. But in the end, you're there for the theme and the feeling the game brings. So think about if you ever go to Target and you're a fan of The Office, there's this game that is the, it's, it's a board game about The Office and the whole object of the game is to not get fired. And basically what you're doing is there's a little bit of office trivia and a little bit of factoids here and there, but otherwise you're just kind of like rolling dice. There's not really a 
object to the game aside from luck and enjoy the theme. Basically, yeah. Yeah, that could be like a really simple version there. Which it can be fun. Definitely, you know? definitely. So the next two on the list, I'm going to throw together, but I'm going to talk about them separately. We have a CCG collectible card game and an LCG a living card game, which is a newer creation. So a CCG or a collectible card game is basically like Pokemon and Yu-Gi-Oh! and Magic the Gathering. You buy packs of cards, open those cards, hope you get a fancy rare that there's a small chance to get, and then you build decks and play each other. That's a collectible card game because you are collecting. I'm sorry, it is Pokemon. Pokemon, Pokemon. I said Pokemon. Pokemon, yeah, it's Pokemon. Pokemon. You can also call those <laughs> a TCG, a trading card game. Those basically go hand in hand. Now, a living card game is a newer creation where there are no random packs. You basically buy a starter box that comes with a multiple sets up, like three or four setups of decks, and you can play the game. Then you buy a pack. They usually release them during the life of the game once a month. It's 15 bucks. Every single pack that's titled the same has the same card, so you buy one and you're done. And then it gives you X amount of cards that you can now expand your decks with. Works a little differently, but they both are generally going to be one-on-one -on -one competitive card games. Imagine it's like 1999 and you go to buy a pack of Pokemon cards from Kmart and you are guaranteed to get a Charizard and three Pikachus in every deck. Like every deck lives the exact same. That's kind of like the living card game. Yes, exactly. Uh, the last one I have on this list are traditional card games. That is going to be your poker, your gin rummy, anything you use with a standard 52 deck of cards, any game you play with that, that's a traditional card game. Nice and simple. So, moving past that, we have a few more definitions before we get into mechanics and game genres. So we've got board games. Board games, for a lot of people, can mean anything you put on a table, but generally there is a board that is a centralized board that's going to make it an officially like a board game. But essentially, it's any game you play. It's life, it's Monopoly. Some people consider Uno a board game. However, next on the list is card games. Those are going to be games focused around using cards, such as Uno. That game is mostly using cards, or pretty much only using cards, so that's a card game. Some Phase 10. Some games can have a board. Skip bow. And cards. And depending on who you talk to and depending on how the game functions, depends on how they define it, but that's not really super important. Dice games, explanatory, it uses lots of dice. Like Yahtzee or Nico. Exactly. The imaginary game my grandmother brought me back from Vegas. Yes. So for our podcast, we call ourselves a tabletop games podcast because card games, dice games, board games, you play all of them on a tabletop. That is how we view it. That is the hobby. However, for some old school people, tabletop games strictly means role-playing games like Dungeons and Dragons and Pathfinder. For us, that's not necessarily the case, but that does lead us into role-playing games. If you've never played a role-playing game, it's an experience that you should try to find at some point because I think it's worth having. You do need to be particular about who you're having that experience with, though. And I feel like, because this was my perception coming into the hobby, that all role-playing games are like your Dungeons & Dragons. You are going on a quest, you are going to go defeat these beings, you're going to go find these treasures, and da 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 and that theme really didn't, wasn't that really inviting to me, I guess you'd say. Yeah. And so, but I want people to know that there are so many more role-playing games. You don't have to dedicate the next six to eight months of your life every Thursday and Saturday night playing Dungeons and Dragons when you can do things like one-shots, like Fiasco. Fiasco is basically mm -hmm. you're playing a Quentin Tarantino movie, 
and it takes one to three hours to play. And it is an absolute ball. For sure. And you can it's you can make it more real life. You can be like uh drug pushers, you can be uh scientists, whatever you wanna be. And so it's much more broad than what the traditional Dungeons and Dragons has offered. Not that Dungeons and Dragons can't be great. For sure. There's a lot to it. Role playing games forever was just high fantasy. High fantasy is going to be, you know, your elves, your dwarves, your swords and bows and arrows like that's going to be a high fantasy genre there's so much more out there now that it's worth looking into the indie world of it especially is massive so going off of that now we're going to enter into the mechanics slash game section of this the mechanics zone now i don't want to spend too terribly long on each mechanic for the sheer fact that if i do that this episode will be forever long so we are going to go through these hopefully at a decent clip but i do want to try to explain at least what I like about each of these mechanics as we go. Worst case scenario, we cut half of that after we're done. There we go. High five. High five. Uh, that's a yeah. little, little distance. All right. So the first one on the list Haley mentioned earlier is going to be deck building. Now, deck building... Is a deck in a box. Unlike the collectible card games and living card games that we talked about earlier, in a deck building game like Adventure Mart in episode 72, you are building the deck as you play the game. So instead of coming to the game with a deck, you're actually building it during the game itself. Yeah, you're recruiting cards through either a pile, through an open market, through trade, and you're putting together your deck like you would with your Pokemon cards in the schoolyard in seventh grade. Exactly. These games are very, very fun, and generally they're very simple to get into once you understand what the little symbols and everything means. And the my favorite thing about them is you get to string these little like little combos and little things together where this card lets you do this, which lets you do that, which lets you do this. And it's just fun, it's rewarding, and it's an interesting style to play. And one, one of these games that is really popular and can be found at Target is Dominion. That's like the OG... Uh, Donald X Vaccarino. <laughs> That's the OG deck builder that Delton just knows the designer of. Yes, Dominion was created by Donald X. Vaccarino. He it doesn't is, even own this game, and he knows it. I don't. Brian owns this game. We have played it several times with him, and I've played it outside of that. However, Dominion was the first big deck builder. It was it Really, it was the first one to create the genre, and it's still a great game. They have second edition out now, and you can. You can find it at your local Target, and it's definitely worth looking into if these games sound fun. But one that I absolutely love yep. is Paperback. So Paperback basically take Scrabble and make it a deck builder. You are trying to collect all of these letters to put into your deck and you draw your hand each round and you're trying to put those letters together to make words to get points. So if you like Scrabble, but you don't necessarily need a, a big definition book of words to draw from, Paperback is the deck builder for you. Paperback is fantastic. You can go to, I think it's timfowersgames.com. Yes. I can't think of his website, but Tim Fowers is the designer. Lots of great games. Paperback is one to look out for. So next on the list is going to be Tableau Building. Tableau is not a word I was ever used to hearing until board games, and I didn't realize how to pronounce it for a while. It was Tableau. But Tableau, essentially you're putting things in front of you. You're going to put cards in front of you, tiles in front of you, and you're going to build out a little city or some rows of things or something in front of you. And generally there's other mechanics to go along with it, but that's the, the central main nature. Now, I always find this fun because you get to watch what you're building as you play. And at the end, you can see what everyone's done differently and you can see exactly like what you've created. And it's always fun to go through and, you know, do that. Like take a picture when you start, take a picture at the end and be like, look what I did. I don't know. That's very fun. 
One of the big ones, and I think you can get this at Target, is going to be Carcassonne, or Carcassonne, depending on who you ask. Uh, it is based, I guess it's a French city, but yes. it's a very fun game. It's been around a long time. They have a newer edition now, so it looks a little more spruced up. But very, very fun game. Can get very competitive. I do think it's best at two players. I don't know why. I just really enjoy the two-player aspect. But very, very good game. Very accessible with lots of expansions and things to add on to if you enjoy it. And a new version would be Wingspan, which won the Spiel de, y- de Yars last year, right? Yaris. Spiel des Yaris. Spiel yep. des Yaris last year. Yep, it did. It's a very good game. Elizabeth Hargrave uh, created it, put out through Stonemeyer Games. I think you can find it at Barnes & Noble, but you probably can't find it at Walmart or Target. However, it's a simple game to play. It's gorgeous, and we find it to be a fun game. Uh, it's all about bird watching, essentially. But that one's very fun. So the next on the list is going to be Drafting. Drafting is one of my favorite mechanics that you can find in games. Essentially, it's where you have a hand of cards. Let's say you have six cards. You're going to pick one to keep, pass the rest to your left. That means the player to your right have passed five to you. You look at those, take one, and pass your four to the left. You take the four from the player to the right. You go through and draft cards for whatever reason. It's one of my favorite mechanics because it means you have to pay attention to what other people are taking or paying attention to what is not in those packs of cards you're receiving. The best examples of this, one of the best, very small box, very easy to find at Target, is Sushi Go. Sushi Go is very simple. You are just doing set collection and picking up sushi, and it's great. Man, I played the hell out of that when I got my tonsils taken out and I was on pain medicine. Yeah, you did. Like, I, I probably played that 40 times in three days. Every time a friend would come by to see me after surgery, like, you want to play Sushi Go? And we like, play three rounds of Sushi Go. I'm like, I'm going to take a nap. And then someone else would stop by, you want to play Sushi Go? And then Delt yep. would come home, you want to play Sushi Go? I got burnt out real fast. Real fast. I don't think you've played that with me since. I don't think I have. <laughs> if you want to up the difficulty on the games, but with a game that has quite possibly the most symbolism I've ever seen in a game, potentially, is a game called Seven Wonders. This is a game that's always thrown at people as an introductory level game. And it's kind of not. However, it also is because everybody's been introduced with that game. It's really in a strange place. I know some people personally, Alan, that does not like Seven Wonders at all. Egad. But I really enjoy Seven Wonders. So, you know, keep that there. So the next on the list is worker placement. This is a pretty simple concept. You have a board on the table with little spots. You have a physical piece, a little worker. It's usually this little wooden person called a meeple. You place him down on one of those spots, and that triggers something. Either you receive a benefit, or you will receive a benefit, or it pushes something on the board to do something, something along those lines. You place a worker, and something happens. One of my favorite mechanics of all time, and I think it's because it's simple in its function. You put a guy down, and this happens, but those games always come with a long-term strategy that is difficult to get to, like to do well at. So I really enjoy that. One of the classic, iconic versions of this, and again, you have to be okay with Dungeons & Dragons kind of theming, is a game called Lords of Waterdeep. It's a very simple version, but a lot of people still love it. There is an app version, so if you wanted to check it out and try it out, you can totally download the app. It's a very good implementation. So Agricola Family Edition is also an example of a worker placement game. So there's a longer version of Agricola that takes about two hours or so to play, and I was undefeated until Mac beat me. Yep. So in this game, basically, you're gathering resources to feed your family. You are starting your farm. You're cultivating your farm. You are raising your family, and you get points for having your land cultivated, 
for having people and having your people fed. It's really easy. It's really fun, but it's a great introductory into the worker placement genre. For sure. Next on the list is bidding. Bidding is very simple. I'm going to put this money down that this happens. You're going to put this much money down that this happens, and then you see who wins. Best example, poker. Poker is a simple example of a game where you're making bets, which is bidding. Uh, One of my favorites that's also a party game is Wits and Wagers. You basically read a question, how many miles away is the Earth from the sun? Every person at the table writes an answer, whether it's right or wrong, and then you wager who has got the closest without going over, essentially, to that answer. Very, very fun game. Highly suggest that for any kind of party. The next on the list is going to be the hidden role genre. Slash social deduction. Slash social deduction. These are some of the most fun games to play with groups of people. I feel like you should know those people for the best experience. However, they're always very fun. The prime two examples we've got here are Mafia, which some people have played in school, I guess. I never did. And Werewolf, more particularly for me, One Night Ultimate Werewolf. Right. So in in that game, uh, somebody among the group is a werewolf, or more than one person. And so all the villagers are trying to uh, pick out who the werewolf is, because every night the werewolf is going to kill somebody. And so you want to deduct who is the werewolf. If the villagers kill another villager, then they then the werewolves win. But if they kill the werewolf, the villagers win. Exactly. And this hidden role, social deduction, it's always very fun trying to solve this puzzle of who's the bad guy, and lots and lots of good games use this as part of their game. But Mafia and Werewolf, that is the game. And Mafia, I know I've played it, but I also know I probably haven't played it since 1997. I do remember playing Mafia in like the first and second grade. It's essentially Werewolf, but instead of werewolves, they're gangsters. That's it. That's, you know, the big difference there. So I was a that, seven-year-old gangster. You were a seven-year-old gangster. So after that, we have Set Collection, which I did mention earlier when talking about Sushi Go. Set Collection is, let's make a set. Let's have a one, two, three, and a four. Or let's have four of the same number. Biggest thing, Phase 10. That's a game everyone's played. Oh, I love Phase 10 so much. Rest in peace, Grandma B. You showed me the way, the truth, and the life that is Phase 10. How awesome it is. Hate that game. I love it so much. (laughs) It is 10 games in one, my friend. It really is 10 games in one. One version, aside from Sushi Go, which I guess I could have put here also, because it's a drafting game, but it's built on set collection. Uh, Point Salad that we've talked about on the podcast before. Point Salad's a very good, like, essentially a pure set collection style of game. I don't know. It's a very, very fun game as well. Next, we have Roll and Write. Roll and Writes are fun because they're simple and they give you a puzzle based on luck. The biggest one out there is Yahtzee. You roll some dice, decide if you want to push it and keep rolling, and then you write down what you get and you try to keep going till you get everything. That's a Roll and Write. One of our favorites that uses cards instead of dice is a game called Welcome To. Welcome To is very, very good. It's a bit intimidating. The rulebook is not always as clear as you want it to be, and it can be hard to teach to people. However, with those few negatives, it is one of our favorite roll and write games, or flip and fill, as some people like to call it, out there. Next on the list, moving this at a little quicker pace now, is Dexterity Games. Dexterity, it is using your fingers, using your digits. One of my favorite games to play that is a Dexterity game is Jenga. Jenga is. You're using a limb to do something. Right. You're stacking your little box, trying to uh, take one out at a time and not make the tower fall. But another one is Operation. Operation for sure. Try not to touch the walls of the person's body when you pull out his femur. That's how I knew I would never be a surgeon. Does that game freak you out? That game freaked me out. Or you're just bad at it. 
Both. Okay. <laughs> so you're welcome. Or thank Hasbro. Actually, everybody write a thank you letter to Hasbro saying, you thank you for letting Haley never be a surgeon because she can't hold anything straight. Have you seen my That's handwriting? True. I've seen you use a kitchen knife and it's horrifying. <laughs> I am. I, you can thank that yeah. game for not making me a surgeon. Thank goodness. One of our favorite dexterity games out there is by far Crokinole, which I've had an episode about before. A bit expensive to get into, but my goodness, it's fun. Then we go into abstract strategy games. If you've heard of abstract strategy, you've probably not, if you've heard of it, You've heard of an abstract strategy game, just maybe not the term. Connect Four, Checkers, Chess, any of those games where you're trying to outsmart your opponent, but there's no real theme to it. You're just moving some pieces around. Hell, Tic-Tac-Toe. Tic-Tac-Toe, abstract strategy game. Super fun, very competitive. Highly recommend Hive and Hive Pocket Edition. I don't know if those are at Target or anything, but I'm just going to throw those out. Then we move into two that I'm going to throw together, Pattern Building and Spatial Reasoning. Pattern building, as it sounds, you build some pattern and spatial reasoning is using your mind to visualize something because you can't pick the pieces up and try to make them fit. So, for example, Sudoku is a great pattern building slash spatial reasoning game because you're having to hold in your working memory what numbers am I missing between one and nine. Sudoku is one. Patchwork is another one. Delta, you want to talk about patchwork? Patchwork is the one that we play a lot. Essentially, you're building a quilt with different tetrominoes. A tetromino is some sort of like shape using only 90 degrees. So if you put four squares going up and down and one square on the left of the third from the top, I don't know if that makes any sense. Like an L. Like, yeah, you have an L, you have a straight line, you've got a two by two square. You're basically playing Tetris trying to put uh, quilt pieces together. Exactly. But you can't pick them up and test it until you've already purchased it. So that's one of our favorites. Next is co-op. Co-op is whenever you're working together. Come on, come on, let's get together. Co-op games have you working generally against the board, which is what makes it so fun. together we will stand every boy, girl, woman, and a man. So some of the easily available cooperative games are Pandemic, which is a little real right now, but it's essentially that you are scientists fighting the spread of a global pandemic and trying to save the world. Very, very difficult game. We have lost on turn two. That is how hard the game can be. We have lost back in April. Yeah, that's also true. That's the real world, though. The other one we have on the list is a game called The Game, where is it two or four? Two to four people, I think? Or one to four uh, people? It is one to... I think it's one to four. One to four or five. One to four people have hands of cards. Basically, there's two piles that start at number one, go up to 100, and two piles that start at 100 and go down to one, and you have to play two cards from your hand every turn and try to play every single card if possible. Very, very, very fun. The cooperative games are just nice because you get to work together. It's always a lot of fun. Next one's my favorite. Party games. Party games. You got your apples to apples. You have your Disney apples to apples. You have your Twilight apples to apples. Okay. Apples to apples is a big party game that a lot of people know. It inspired games that essentially ripped it off such as Cards Against Humanity. Or Crabs Adjust Humidity. Crabs Adjust Humidity, all of those, the meme game, all of it took from apples to apples. But party games are essentially that. They're party games. Everyone can get together. It's light, it's fun, it's easy, and generally you're laughing during it. Once had like 30 band kids playing apples to apples, man. It was great. Gross. One of the best party games out there that you can get at Walmart, Target, pretty much anywhere. And there are like a, there is like a Disney version, a Marvel version An now. After Dark version. I don't know if they make that anymore. 
What? We, we have it, but I don't know if they make it, but it is code really? names. Code names. It was originally put out by Czech Games Edition, made by Vlada Shavatel, one of the most popular, I would say, designers of the like late to like late 2000s to early 2010s. But very, very, very good game based on relaying clues to words using limited things. So like you want to link some words together, use one word and a number, and they have to figure it out. It's a whole thing. Great game. Next, we move to war games. The modern version of war games can be extremely complex to the point of you have a battle, this person has PTSD, this person is wounded, you have to backtrack, take them through the jungle. Like, I'm talking complicated. But there are some so simple as Battleship and Stratego. Yes. Man, Battleship is the OG uh, war game in my book. Like, there's been a For few real. war games that I've liked, but I really like Battleship to this day. Battleship is a very good kind of guessing game, essentially. It really is, but there is strategy to it. As someone who has played it with a whole bunch of kids to get them to talk about their feelings, I can tell you there's a lot of strategy to Battleship. There is a lot of strategy to Battleship. But war games generally are exactly that. They talk about a war. Haley's all-time favorite we talked about, Twilight Struggles, considered a war game. Cold War. Cold War game. Mother Russia. One of our other favorite styles of games is a real-time game. Real time means exactly that. It happens in real time. If you've ever played the game Perfection, where you set a timer and you have to put all the little pieces in before it goes pop. Remember those little, like, they were like star pieces. They were little question marks. Yep. Uh, it was this little plastic container and you had all these little yellow pieces and you had to poke them in as quickly as you could before it exploded. That is perfection. And I forgot about that game and I found it online. I was like, oh my God. It's horrifying because it, it was so horrible. stressful. I think that's where my anxiety came from. <laughs> I think so. If you would like a modern version of a real-time game that I think is a blast, Escape the Curse of the Temple. The, it is one of my favorite real-time games that uses a timer and a soundtrack. You roll some dice and run around, basically Indiana Jones-style, collecting gems and trying to leave the temple, and it's fantastic. Escape. Trick-taking games is next on the list. Trick-taking games, if you're a drinker and liked to party back in high school and college, there's a game called Asshole, also known as President. None of our listeners partied in high school, Delton. I, I, I went to, like, a few, but I only drank at one. Nobody listening to this podcast drank until they were 21. Eh, I don't believe that. Anyway, I never have actually played this game, but I know it's very popular, and what I read online, it's a trick-taking game. The other one that's very popular is Euchre. You've heard of Euchre. It's been around forever. Trick-taking games generally are, you're playing some cards, trying to win using sometimes a suit that is called a trump suit, and you take the cards to your hand, and you want to have the most cards or win the most tricks, which is like each set of cards. It's weird. Not to be confused with turning the most tricks. That's true, because that's totally different. The we'll next, get to that. We'll get to that. The next on the list is going to be Dungeon Crawling. Dungeon Crawling is basically the combat version of what a role-playing game like Dungeons & Dragons is. You're going through a map physically, fighting people with little guys, probably rolling dice. You most likely have abilities. A very old version of this style of game from the 80s, a lot of people look at as a grail game, which is like they have to have it. It's the holy grail of their collection, is a game called Hero Quest. You can't find that anywhere now. Some people get lucky at like a Goodwill for like four bucks and find it. But that's the most popular thing. There is a game, and I don't think you can get this outside of like a, you know, a game store or a Barnes and Noble, but there's a game called Mice and Mystics where you are people that have been transformed by a wizard into mice and you have to fight your way into the castle to turn back into people to save someone. And not get eaten by the cat. 
and not get eaten by the evil cat. Very, very cute game. Very fun game. You can get kids involved. It has a story that you can read that, that leads you through. Uh, it's a very cute one, and I definitely recommend that. Dungeon crawling is not my favorite genre, but when it's done right, it can be very fun. Area Control is the next on the list. Haley, what's that game? Risk. The Ukraine is weak. I hate Risk because it's a lot of dice rolling for my taste, but Area Control can be very fun. You basically have a map uh, on a board, and you're trying to exactly that, control so much area or control a certain area and end up winning based on any number of things, whether it's eliminate your opponents, win by points, things like that. A modern game that was my introductory into the board gaming hobby is a game called Small World. Small World has a lot of expansions. It has Small World Underground. Now there is Small World of Warcraft, a crossover with Blizzard Entertainment with World of Warcraft, and I really want it. But uh, that is a game you can pick up, I believe, at Target as well now that is a, a really fun kind of wacky area control. Next, we go to games about hand management. It's exactly that. You manage your hand. Haley wanted me to put Go Fish. Yes, because Go, Go Fish is definitely a hand management game. I mean, you're, you're trying to... I mean, if you're playing with two people and you're playing by the rules that the kids I play with play, like, there might be a point in time where you have 26 cards in your hand and you have to be able to tell, okay, do I have enough fours to be able to lay down a set, enough threes, enough kings... And so you're really having to manage your hand and keep track, so that way you're not unintentionally lying whenever the other person says, do you have any fours? No, I don't. Oh, snap, I had three. Whoops. So my definition of hand management is very different than Haley's, which is why she has Go Fish on here, and I have Hanabi. Hanabi can be bought, I believe, at Target and Walmart, at least Target for sure. Target seems to have the better selection from all this talk. Hanabi is all about building a fireworks show. You have a hand of cards that you cannot see. And people can tell you these cards are red in your hand or these two cards are the value four. You then have to memorize that. And so you have to manage how you organize your hand based on the clues people tell you and try to play these cards blindly. So that's what I mean by hand management. It's usually stressful. It's very fun. There's something about it that I like, though. It is also a co-op game. Hanabi is a co-op game as well. The next one is not as popular of a style to see, but is hidden movement. It's where you move and nobody knows where, generally by writing it down. One of my favorites is Nuns on a Run. You cannot buy this unless it's in a game store or online. However, I think it's very fun. You basically have an abbot and a prioress. Is that right? And the, somebody plays them, monitoring the hallways. And the other people play the little kids in this like Catholic school. And they're trying to go steal something like the love letter or the whiskey or the cake. Very, very fun game. Kind of a cute little like artwork-filled game, but really enjoy it. One you can buy at Target is Sonar, where you play submarine operators. Yes. So you're playing uh, rival submarine operators, and you are trying to navigate your ship as well as sink the other person's ship. Yes, and it is very difficult, but it's very fun. Sonar is the simpler version where you can play it with just two people or two teams of two. Then there's Captain Sonar that can go up to eight people real time, and it gets wild. It does. All right, we're close to the end now, folks. Don't worry. We've got legacy games. Legacy games are simple in you are going through a story, and once you finish it, it's done, and you can't really play the games again, generally. The biggest one, we talked about Pandemic, where the, there's a global pandemic, and your scientist trying to save it. 
The most popular legacy game out there is Pandemic Legacy. They're season one, season two, and they're going to release a season zero. Oh. Basically, you have a pandemic starts and you go and cities will be destroyed. Countries will be cut off. Different things will happen in the game as you tell the story of your people and everything like that. And it's very fun. But man, it's, it's, it's heavy now. It's heavy, especially now. I, I haven't played it since the pandemic has happened. I know I haven't either. The next on the list is going to be an engine builder. Engine building games are very fun because it allows you to do that. Build an engine. It's usually you start with one piece, you then somehow get two, you then get three, and your first piece and your third piece work to benefit your second piece, which gets you a fourth piece. You get these fun little combos going on, and they just help you go further and further into the game. One of my favorites is Splendor. In Splendor, I am undefeated in, so much so that Delton gave away the game. But in Splendor, you are buying these jewels be able to use as income to buy more jewels for more points and so the more of these jewels that you you buy the more points you have but also the more jewels you have to to spend money to buy even better jewels or to uh woo these famous individuals these powerful people in the game to get on your side to get even more points exactly Haley's good at it i got very frustrated with it there's also an app for that the next on my list under engine building is suburbia I believe Suburbia is at Barnes & Noble for sure. I think it might be at Target periodically. But it's essentially building a city. And depending on if you put this next to a park, you get bonus points. or you get more people come to your city and things like that. Very, very fun little game. But I consider it engine building because you're putting these pieces down. And based on where you put pieces around them, it starts to populate and do all this other bonus stuff. The last thing I have on the list is simple family card games. Sometimes you're playing with people that are older than a certain age, and sometimes they need a little help. Sometimes you're playing with people under a certain age, and they need a little help. Families are all kinds of ages and, you know, different things like that. So family card games are something that you can sit down with everyone and have fun. Uno is the biggest example I can think of that we've played with tons of people. No, not everyone plays by the rules. However... My family. (laughs) It's very fun, and no one has to think about it. You can sit and chat and play and just have a good time. A modern sort of family card game, if you don't buy the Not Safe for Work edition, is Exploding Kittens. Exploding Kittens is not very complicated, and it's really simple, and people play it with their families, and I have some friends who have played it with their kids that are like six years old, and they have a great time, so I think that's something that's very fun. You seem like you're exhausted, Delton. I am tired now. Woo! I tried to get (laughs) through those quickly and concisely to make it to the end. I think you did a good job. Hey, thanks. Let's open up another beer while we think about what we're going to ask for our question, because I don't think either one of us thought about that today. We didn't. We were like, hey, here's our topic. We're just going to do nothing but a topic. We're going to go for it. And then freaking looky here. All right. The next beer on our list today is from Boulevard Brewing Company out of Kansas City, Missouri. They always have good products. This is their Cherry Lime Rattler, beer with cherry, lime, and natural flavors. It is only 4.1% alcohol by volume. Blessed. So something else that Morgan asked me about that I just thought about we could bring up is how can you play some more games like this, modern games? It's not necessarily a question that she asked me, but I'm going to pose it as a question. How can we play games to learn more about these things or to do it when there's a pandemic going on or you don't live near a lot of people because Morgan lives out in the country? So is this our question for the episode? It's not, but I wanted to mention it. We can totally make it our question for the episode because I got nothing. I mean, we can. And now, join us 
for a Malthouse Games podcast special by Size Question. Uh, what I was going to say was there are a lot of app versions of these games. Yes, they cost money, and that's going to be the downfall. Some are a dollar, some are two, some are 10 to 12, depending on the game. However, you can play so many and get the experience of the board game just without the social element. And, you know, paying a dollar or five dollars for an app is a lot cheaper than buying a $50, $60 board game. Definitely. So it allows you to try other games or try more games. And Delton, you have like taken the Google rewards points and gotten some of these games for free as well. Oh, hold, I've got like eight bucks worth of rewards points right now. I'm just waiting on the next app that I'm going to get, essentially. But the those are very fun. And me and Brian have played them. And like, if anybody wants to play, you have an app of a game and you want to play it with me, I can't promise I'll be on time. I can't promise that I'm not going to be super behind it here and there. And like with Patchwork, maybe let my turn lapse. Ooh, I challenge Morgan to Patchwork. Patchwork app. We'll have to make her get it and play yes. it with us. But uh, yeah, definitely send me either a DM on Twitter at Delton Brack or at Malthouse Games, M-A-L-T-H-A-U-S, or send us an email, contact at MalthouseGames.com. MalthouseDames. MalthouseDames.com. There's a, there's a side channel for there you. There we go. Talk about turning tricks. What? Just, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Excuse me. Excuse me. I am commandeering this podcast now. You are no longer allowed to speak. Welcome to the Malthouse Dames podcast, where Delton's not allowed because he's a jerk. Anyway, if you want to play with me, let me know. And Haley, too. She doesn't have many board games on her phone, but I do, and I pay attention to my phone a lot more. So yeah, that's a statement, but that's a way. And you can also DM me on Twitter, too, S-Q-U-I-R-R-E-L-Y-G-E-E-K, Squirrely Geek. DM me with a game you want to play. And I might be able to play it with you. There you go. So one of the other things that she mentioned was she asked if people sold used games, which I think is a valid question if you're not used to this, like, uh, you know, ridiculous hobby. And my answer was a very fast Facebook. People sell games used on Facebook all the time. There was just the other day a game that I think I bought for, I bought it on sale for like 45. Someone was selling it for 30, still in the shrink. And I was like, boom, right there. You can get that game for a hell of a discount. And it's a great game. It was Heaven and Ale. Oh, yeah. And I was like, that's awesome. And so there's a lot of ways that you can get games used, get games there. You can play games on the computer. If you have Tabletop Simulator, if you go to, I can't remember the name of the website. There's Vassal website. Hell, you can even play Battleship with somebody. I do this all the time with my little kid clients where we're talking throughout the week. I'll send them, if you just search uh, Play Battleship. Uh, the website will pop up and I can start a game on my side, send somebody else the link and we can play Battleship simultaneously. It's really awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. And it's free. There's a lot of resources like that. Not all of them are going to be free, but it's a great way as a newcomer to introduce yourself into more of this. And UCO has a board game library now. Do they really? They do. Oh, that's exciting. It's really exciting. So there's lots of different things out there. Lots of ways to get involved in board gaming, to find out more about board gaming. Do not neglect YouTube, I will say that. There are a lot of quality channels on YouTube that have tons of information of teaching you how to play the game, showing you the game being played, reviewing the game, talking about it, unboxing it, all kinds of stuff. Yeah, and whenever the plague's over, don't forget about uh, board game community nights. The Oklahoma board game community meets at Denny's on Thursdays. They were not in plague times. And anybody can join. It's free. And they, they meet other places too. We just Those aren't in Edmonds, so we usually don't keep up. And then a lot of the local game stores around tend to have some sort of meetup at least once a week. And if they don't, they at least a lot of them have a library you can rent from. They're in the shop and play games and generally somebody on staff to teach you even. So 
there's a lot of resources to go for. And it's a big hobby with a lot of things that if you haven't experienced them, like all these mechanics and terminology we went through today, if you haven't experienced it and been around it, some of it's just going to seem out there. And until you kind of, you know, start diving in and going in the shallow end and walking toward the deep, then you'll start to get more and more used to it and find where you really like it. We didn't talk about the beer at all. Nah, so this beer, okay. <laughs> okay. It looks like cherry juice. It smells like cherry juice. It tastes like cherry juice. That's basically this beer with a tiny bit of alcohol. It's just even, cherry. Even the aftertaste is the lime. This is like a cherry limeade that, so get a cherry limeade from Sonic and like blow bubbles in it with your straw to make it fuzzy and fizzy. And that's what you got. You got a cherry limeade. Should put this on ice with a little bit of Sprite. Oh my God. And it would legit be a cherry limeade. Delton. We could do it. Delton, we're we, going to do this. We, we're going to do this. <laughs> to be continued, my friends. I think that that's going to finish out what we wanted to do th with this episode. It's mostly just a quick introduction, and hopefully you got some ideas of something that sounds interesting, and maybe a couple ideas of a game to go look for, and even a place now used or digital that you can find it so you can try it out. As usual, if you have any questions for us, or like I said, want to play some games online with us, contact at malthousegames.com, hit us up on social media at Delton Brack for me, at S-Q-U-I-R-R-E-L-Y-G-E-E-K. At Squirrely Geek for Haley. We didn't do our question, but I'm going to say that Morgan's question was our question. We figured it out. So, Morgan, thank you for all the prompting for this uh, episode. I feel like this is the most planned, least planned episode we've had. It is, because normally we go into these and we wing it. We're just like, here's the game, here's the topic, here's a question, and eh, we'll figure it out. And that's how we do, literally how we do every episode of this podcast. This one, I typed stuff out, I planned it all out. And then we realized we didn't plan out for like a question or any of that. So it's a fun place to be in. <laughs> it's a fun podcast to be in. Definitely. Thank you again for tuning in and listening to episode 73 of the Malt House Games podcast. Please make sure to leave us a review on iTunes if you have not. Five stars is what we prefer. Five stars. That really helps us get shown to more people. So hopefully more people can find this podcast and say, hey, we like it. We're going to listen to that because that's what we're here for. If people didn't like it, we would not be doing it. Actually, probably still would because I'm still surprised people listen to our podcast every week. I mean, that's a true statement. I just kind of like hearing myself talk. It's fun. I hear you talk double because I have to edit it. You're welcome. I don't know if that's a good thing. <laughs> anyway. I will be starting a petition online to get Delton to grow his hair out. So keep an eye out. Don't do that. Don't do that, but do be sure to like wherever you find this, share it, and subscribe if you would. All those things help us out. So thank you again for tuning in and listening to the podcast. Until next time, sit back, relax, grab a drink, and play some games. We'll talk to you folks later. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.